Praise God. Beautiful move of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. Hosea chapter 13, verse 9. I'm going to turn somber and sober here for a few moments. I feel like this is a very important call to somebody. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges to whom thou saidest, give me a king and princess. And I want you to notice, he said, Israel, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. I will be your king. And so for a few moments, hang on tightly to your seat. As I preach something, I feel like the Lord is speaking to somebody in particular. Immediate action is required. Let's lift our voices and let's praise the Lord together. God, you're so good. You're gracious and kind, slow to anger and of great mercy. Thank you, Lord God, for the many times you've extended grace to me. And these precious people, Lord God, that are sitting before me. And Lord, those who are worshiping with us online from various places around the world. I pray, God, your will be done in our lives. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I, I want to mention before I dive into this subject that August the 21st, we're going down to the river to be baptized. So if you know anyone who has not been baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus, we're going down to the Kennebec River on August the 21st at 1 p.m. We have secured permission to use the east side boat landing, which is the main boat landing in Augusta. And I believe that God is going to uh, help us to see some folks baptized in the name of Jesus. It's very important. Matter of fact, I've already had people contacting me online about wanting to be baptized. Praise God. Thank you. Don't forget, put that in your calendar. Even if you don't need to be baptized, come down and support us as we're helping those who do need to be baptized. I'd like to think we could be singing and having a wonderful time on the bank of the Kennebec. And that's going to be an awesome day. Immediate action is required. Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States, which, by the way, was like a fifth cousin to Franklin Delano, 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 however you say his middle name, FDR. They were fifth cousins. Uh, but Theodore Roosevelt was the 26th president. He made a statement that, well, it's just so true, I have to say it. I quote him. He said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit down for a month.
I didn't say that. Teddy Roosevelt said that, so don't get mad at me. But he said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit down for a month. Many years ago, Almighty God lamented over his people. And he said, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Two hundred years ago, India was a storybook country, a Kipling country before Kipling was born. It was a land of extremes, of diamonds and dirt. Tigers and elephants roamed free, and ancient pagan customs could call for human sacrifice. This was the time of bazaars and turbans and beads and and barbarity. The air was teeming with more brutal exuberance than Times Square today. This was the era of fire eaters and maharajas who wore exquisite silks embroidered with gold and gems. It was during this time that the country was roamed by a, a robber gang, a, a strange and barbaric underground society known as the thugs. Aside from their raids on the rich, the thugs, well, they killed in the name of their Hindu goddess, the goddess of destruction. But the blood of their victims could not be spilled, so their trademark was strangling. One leader dared to oppose the thugs. He was the, the Raja of Kolapar. India's Raja of Kolapar came to his state's throne in 1822 by accident. His elder brother, who was first in line, had died, probably perhaps because of it, because of the speed of his inheritance. The, the Rajah felt even more responsibility toward Kolapar's government, had an even greater desire to, to keep what he had. Now, the Rajah of Kolapar was not exactly what you'd call a tyrant. He was a law and order man back in the 1820s, his state was the only territory in the country not affected by British rule. The thought of British interference perturbed him so that he sent his own armies to the neighboring states to help drive out the British. But the Rajah's real enemy, the real threat to his kingdom was the thugs, the organized band of terrorists and Thieves by night, they, they raided his treasury, murdered his subjects, and laid waste the Kolapar countryside. And the situation was not getting better. First, the Raja, he, he tried. He said, okay, I'll, I'll increase my personal army. And he, he threw a ring of guards around his hordes of valuables and around himself to no avail. The onslaught continued more furiously than ever. At last, one morning, the Rajah awakened to find many of his favorite jewels stolen and their guard lying lifeless in a pool of blood. The Rajah's dark eyes flashed in anger as he turned to his marshals. These devils must be stopped, he demanded, his voice literally shaking with rage. 
The marshals glanced at each other fearfully until one attendant suggested that this pilferage and destruction might in fact not be the work of the thugs. Usually the, the thugs worked by day, he said, and, and they were forbidden by their own perverse religion to spill blood. The Rajah looked down at his murdered guard. He had been mutilated, repelled. The Rajah looked away. But who else could it be, he said. His voice was quiet now, whispering, tense, his marshals silent. Whoever they are, said the Rajah with renewed strength, whoever they are, I want their leader caught, and I want him killed, and I want him now. But you know, they never caught him. So the Rajah was to live out most of the rest of his life tormented by these villains. By night, they would ravage the state of Kolapur, steal from the treasury, terrorize the Rajah's subjects, and they never caught the ringleader of this destructive band for one simple reason. The few who knew his identity while he lived dared not tell. You see, in the early 19th century, the state of Kolapur had its own jackal and hide. By day, the Rajah was a proud and defending sovereign. By night, he led a band of cutthroat robbers and plundered his own kingdom and stole from himself. That, my friend, is an accurate story from the past. And God said to his people Israel, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. In Galatians chapter 6, I told you this was going to be a somber, sober message, and it is. Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, I know that not only the people in this building and everyone who's sensitive to God, immediately we start going, is it I, is it I? It's always Judas who says, after everyone else has said, is it I? He finally says, me? So I understand that when I'm preaching a message like this, that very sincere-hearted people would perhaps get a little bit nervous, but be not afraid. God is reaching for somebody that is in trouble today. God is reaching for somebody who doesn't have very many more opportunities, and so I must stand here behind this pulpit and give that person the opportunity to make an immediately reversal of direction. I feel it so strongly, and I believe that God gave it to me that I, I could not postpone this message for even one week. Immediate action is required. 
Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And the Word of God cries out to us all today, and it says, Be not deceived. As we race to the coming of the Lord, it is ever more important that you do not allow yourself to be deceived. It is the half-truth that is more dangerous than a complete lie. A half-truth has just enough truth in it to cover the hook. And as we race toward the coming of the Lord, the Bible says that there would be many saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The word Christ means anointed. Be not deceived. And as we race to the coming of the Lord, stay with this good book. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't walk away from what this Bible teaches. Don't look for something that's appetizing. Don't look for something that's more palatable. Don't look for something that is easier. Just follow the book. We're almost home. Surely you can hold on a little bit longer. We're almost home. We're, the coming of the Lord is, is very, very close. And, and so it's important that we be not deceived. And one of the ways that, that you can keep from being deceived is love the truth. It's not enough to know the truth. We have to love the truth. Some people know the truth, but uh, they look at the tag on the suit hanging in the suit store and they say, I don't think I want to pay that price. And they leave the suit hanging. Well, that's okay for the suit, but it's not okay for salvation. Walking with God. If any man will follow me, somebody very important said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Who said that? The Lord Jesus Christ said that. So love the truth. Be more concerned about truth than you are convenience. Be more concerned about truth than you are family. Be more concerned about truth than you are your own personal preferences. Love the truth. And be painfully honest. It is what you sow that will give you the biggest challenges. The hardest trials of life are dealing with the reactions to our actions. Now, I've been a pastor for many years, right? Some of you said, yes, that's right, pastor. You've been... Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I can tell you, I've been pastoring since 1976. That's a long time to be pastoring. I've heard it all. I've seen it all. I think. Don't surprise me. <laughs> the hardest trials in life are dealing with reactions to your actions. We drop a rock into the water and there were, we're astonished by the ripples. How did that happen? Uh, excuse me, you drop a stone into the water and you're surprised that there's ripples. 
It's getting very quiet in here. The hardest trials in life are the reactions to our actions. We even sometimes can be so deceived that we blame others for the ripples. We'll say, there's ripples here, as if it was some strange phenomenon. We don't want to accept that the ripples are, are a reaction to our action. And here's what happens when, when people have that mindset. Here's what happens. We blame the devil. Now, I don't mind blaming the devil. The devil is somebody I hate, so it's okay to blame him. But it's not okay for you to blame him for what you did. Because the devil can't fix your problem. Only you can fix your problem. And as long as you blame the devil, you're scot-free, aren't you? You don't have to do anything because the devil did it. Or if that doesn't work for them, they'll blame their family. They'll say, you know, it's the way I was brought up. When I was a little kid, my mother took my doll away from me. And ever since then, I've, I've been mean to people. You still with me? Uh, no, I didn't have a doll. I don't think. And so folks will, will blame their family for their problems and for their situations, and they'll lay it to their family and Again, it's, it's a cop-out because if it's the family's fault, you don't have to do anything. Or if they don't blame the family, they'll blame their friends. They'll say, you know, I, I'm telling you about those people I, I hung out with. They got me in trouble. They really sent me down the wrong road. We blame our friends. Or, or some people even take it to another level. They say, I, it's the church's fault. The church did this and that and nobody cared about me I was sick nobody came to see me pastor walked right by me never shook my hand all they want is money that's all they want why they take two offerings on Sunday morning money hungry and it would be funny if it weren't not for the fact that the end result is you are not going to make it. That's what makes it not funny anymore. And then some folks will blame the pastor. You know, that pastor, he's a real jerk. He, he doesn't care. Why, that guy... Let, let me just say this to you while I'm thinking about it. Don't hang out with anybody who badmouths people. It just ruins your day. Now, I'm not saying it's because somebody's here badmouthing the pastor. If you are, I don't know about it. So just set your mind to ease. I'm telling you that these are all things, and, and some folks will blame the weather, some folks will blame the government. I'm telling you what, the lousy government we've got is causing me to have a nervous breakdown. Give me a break. 
but to get well. For everything to turn out well. God gave me this message before anybody showed up here today. Before anybody signed online. For everything to get well. For everything to turn out well. For your story to end well. You may have had some horrible chapters, but for your story to end well, somebody needs to do what the prodigal son did. After getting beat up, after losing all his friends, after losing all his finances, after losing his entire family, the Bible says these magical words. It says, quote, he came to himself, end of quote. What in the world does that mean? It means he came to his senses. He stopped blaming everybody else for his troubles. He stopped blaming dad and his older brother and all the other people that he could have blamed. He stopped blaming the Sunday school teacher and, and the public school teacher and, and, and the mayor and the governor and the president. He, he just stopped blaming everybody else and, and took responsibility for himself. He was in the pigsty when he came to himself. There wasn't any further he could go down. He was a Jewish boy. He was forbidden to even touch a pig. But he found himself doing what no self-respecting Jewish boy would do. And he was in the pigsty and he would have eaten what the pigs were eating if his stomach would have allowed him. And he was starving to death. And the Bible said at the very lowest moment of his life, he came to himself. came to his senses for the first time in years he began to think in a sensible way he was finally able to realize that what he had done had caused him all this pain he accepted responsibility and admitted to himself it was his own bad decisions that had caused all of his troubles it was only when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, only then was he able to reverse course. I am preaching. The Holy Ghost is preaching to somebody to stop blaming everybody and everything. And take personal responsibility for where you are. Because immediate action is required to survive. The prodigal story ends with him back in his father's good graces. He's out of the pigsty. He's no longer starving. His relationship with his father has been restored. He's wearing the best clothes, not, not secondhand. He's wearing the best clothes. He, he's wearing a ring that symbolizes his position, his covenant position in his family has been completely restored. He's wearing comfortable shoes. And his joy has returned. And the prodigal story ended well because when he hit bottom, he came to himself. He accepted responsibility and he went running back to Father. And that is the same thing you must do, my friend. Bad decisions are the things that have knocked you down. 
It wasn't your brother. It wasn't your sister. It wasn't your mother. I know. I mean, come on. Everybody has different stories, and we all have things that have happened to us, and, and some of you perhaps had even an abusive childhood. I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but that's not going to cause you to spend eternity in hell. It's what you do, it's what you've done, and it's what you will do from this point on that's going to determine whether you will survive and thrive or be lost forever. something about accepting responsibility. And he went running back to Father. There are two things that will keep you down. Now, bad decisions knock you down, okay? Uh, one bad decision can cause you a world of hurt. We read about it all the time. One bad decision can cause a world of hurt. But that's not what is going to keep you down. Now everybody kind of, you know, if this doesn't apply to you, maybe you should just be praying that, that whoever it applies to, they would be able to receive this because this is like, you know, the last rope that's about to be severed and, and I'm, I'm giving you this one last chance. There are two things that will keep you down. Bad decisions put you down, but two things will keep you down. Are you ready for it? One is deceiving yourself and believing a false narrative. You can repeat a lie so many times that you finally get to where you believe it. You can, you can get to a point in your life where you have this, this false narrative that's going on in your head and, and nobody can change it. Nobody can, nobody can get you to realize, hey, that's not the way it is at all. So be not deceived. And the worst kind of deception is self-deception. And that, that's a person that... Self-deception will hold a person down. It keeps saying, yeah, but it wasn't my fault. Yeah, it wasn't. It's, it's everybody else's fault. And, and, and as long as you believe that, you can't get up. It's only when you take responsibility and say, it's not my wife's fault. It's not my husband's fault. It's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. Not the mayor. It's not the state senator. It's not the national senator. It's not the president. Come on, get off of that crazy, crazy flip-flop descent into hell. You have to land up against a rock and say, now wait a minute. How did I get here? It was a bad decision. Oh, truth begins to shine. I got myself into this now with the help of God. I've got to get myself out of this. If a guy can live in a home where, I can't call it a home, live in a house where his mother calls him it and will not refer to him as a human and kicks him and beats him routinely and serves him garbage to eat and he can turn out to be a self-respecting 
adult who goes around on a speaker circuit telling people how they can thrive and how they can overcome situations. If a guy can go through that and come out of that and be successful, so can you. Don't give yourself any excuses. The excuses are holding you down. The excuses are some of the reason why you can't get up. You have to take responsibility and say it's not them, it's me. It's not her, it's me. And if it's me, I can change me with the help of God. Self-deception is a horrible thing. It'll keep you from getting up. And there's one other thing that will keep you from getting up. Believe it or not, it's very simple. It's simply called pride. I did it, but I'm not going to admit it. It's my fault, but I'm not, I'm not telling anybody it's my fault. It's, I understand it, but I, I'm not getting up because... I can't get up because my pride won't let me. It's hard to admit you're wrong. It's hard to admit that you've made a mistake. But sometimes, no, not sometimes, all the time, that is the path to success. That is the path to victory. Stop accusing your brother, your mother, your dad, your wife, your husband. Stop accusing whoever that you have been accusing of the reason why you are the way you are. Take responsibility. Let your pride be broken. Somebody say, praise God. Praise God. God told Israel in Hosea chapter 13, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. But in me is thine help, I will be thy king. Isn't it something that even when it looks like there is absolutely no hope, if a person will be painfully honest, come to their senses, repent before God, and stop using every alibi under the book for why I did what I did, and instead say, you know what? I've got no excuse. I come before you, God, asking you to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to help me. I ask you to deliver me. I ask you, Lord, to, to help me to, to rise above the situation. Isn't it something that when Paul was knocked to his face on the road to Damascus, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That God took a murderer of Christians and made him perhaps the greatest apostle of all time. How could that be? Because somewhere along the line, he fell on his face, and he recognized he came to himself. And I hear God say, But in me is thy help. I will be thy king. Have you ever been in a situation where you realized that if God didn't come through for you, it was over? But Ferris, you ever been in a situation where you knew that if God didn't come through for you, it was over? Like maybe on that old bulldozer and the tree is starting to push into your belly and it Dozer won't shut off and it won't stop. And there's a tree laying across the, the blade and it's beginning to push into his stomach. He can't get the thing to shut off. He can't get it to stop. So I imagine he prayed. 
Maybe I said Jesus. I don't know. All I know is that the thing shut off and he was not impaled. He was a fraction of a second from being impaled, but God caused that thing to shut off. And later when he tried to get it to shut off the same way, it wouldn't do it. It was a one-time thing that God said, you know what? You made a bad decision here today. (laughs) But I'm going to get you out of it. God is calling now today, and I, I'm not even lifting my voice today. I'm just, you know, the anointing is not on how loud people shout. And I'm, you know, those times when I will be shouting when I'm preaching, may even before I get done. But I hear the Lord say, in me is thy help. I will be thy king. And here is the problem. Everybody say Problem. Here's the problem. You need to act now. There's been a few times when uh, and my pilot friend here today, he's probably experienced this too, but there's been a few times when I've been in a traffic pattern somewhere in a, a busier airport and the air, tra- air traffic control said, uh, cleared the land, no delay. Which means get yourself moving. I got a big boy coming behind you, and I don't want to mess around with you. So get in there, get it on the ground, and get it off the runway. Clear the land, no delay. And the problem here today is that I hear the Lord saying, you need to act now. No delay. You delay now is to your own peril. No delay. When a cannonball is shot into the air, there is a point where it's upward momentum ceases and it pauses an instant, a split instant, a fraction of an instant before it begins to fall. At that instant, a child can hold it a fraction of a moment before or after and it smites with the power of death. And I hear the word of God coming to me this morning And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, now, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Notice the words, high time, now is our salvation. And then the next verse says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. What's he saying? The night is far spent. Cast off the works of darkness. To to cast off something, it takes some effort. You're going to have to put some work into this. You can't just sit back and and float. You're going to have to cast it off because the night is far spent. So cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Everybody still with me? Somebody's going to remember this message. I hope this is a turning point for you. But one way or the other, you will remember this message. Because whether you realize it or not, it is a turning point. 
I hope it's turning upward, but you have the control of that. Mount St. Helens, uh, several years ago, remember there was a big, big volcano that went off Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington. And my cousin and I flew over the, uh, the uh, volcanic mountain in his uh, pipe or something. And it was amazing to see all the damage. I looked and I saw trees down for miles and miles and miles. There's still damage that has never been recovered from that volcano. Mount St. Helens belch gray stream plumes hundreds of feet into the blue Washington sky. Geologists watched their seismographs in growing wonder as the earth literally danced beneath their feet. Rangers and state police sirens blaring herded tourists and residents from an ever-widening zone of danger. Every piece of scientific evidence being collected in the laboratories and on the field predicted the volcano would soon explode with a fury that would leave the forest flattened. Warning, blared the loudspeakers on patrol cars and helicopters hovering overhead. Warning, blinked battery-powered signs at every major crossroad. Warning, pleaded radio and television announcers, shortwave and citizen band operators. Warning, echoed up and down the mountain, the lakeside villages, tourist camps and hiking trails emptied as people heard the warnings and fled for their lives. But Harry... Truman refused to budge. Harry was the caretaker of a recreation lodge on Spirit Lake, five miles north of Mount St. Helen. The rangers warned Harry of the upcoming blast. Neighbors begged him to join them in their exodus. Even Harry's sister called to talk sense into the old man. But Harry ignored the warnings from the picture postcard beauty of his lakeside home reflecting the snow-capped peak overhead. Harry grinned on national television and said, Nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him. And that's a quote. On May 18, 1980, as the boiling gases beneath the mountain surface bulged and buckled, the landscape to its final limits, Harry Truman cooked his eggs and bacon, fed his 16 cats the scraps, and began to plant petunias around the border of his freshly mowed lawn. At 8.31 a.m., the mountain exploded. Did Harry regret his decision in that millisecond he had before the concussive waves traveling faster than the speed of sound, flattened him and everything else for 150 square miles? Did he have time to mourn his stubbornness as millions of tons of rock disintegrated and disappeared into a cloud reaching 10 miles into the sky? Did he struggle against the wall of mud and ash 50 feet high that buried his cabin, his cats, and his freshly mowed lawn? Or had he been vaporized like 100,000 people at Hiroshima when the mountain erupted with a force 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb which leveled that Japanese city? Now Harry is a legend 
in that corner of Washington where he refused to listen. He smiles down on us from posters and t-shirts and beer mugs and balladeers sing a song about old Harry, the stubborn man who put his ear to the mountain but would not heed the warning. I just closed the Bible on that message. And God is ready to help you. He said, Israel, you have destroyed yourself. But I am your king. I will help you. I will save you. But I'm telling somebody in this building and online that there's somebody. I don't know who all God's talking to. But I know that God is talking to somebody, maybe more than one somebody, and says, oh, come on. You have destroyed yourself. But I have given you a way that you can rise up again. I have given you a way that you can climb up from the ashes. But it's going to require immediate action. Listen, folks. There are some things you cannot delay. There are some things you can't wait to respond to. There's some things that you just can't hope it will go away on its own. There are some things that demand radical action. And this is one of them today. Somebody needs to say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I, it's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's not my wife. It's not my husband. It's not the people that raised me. Come on, stop giving yourself all these crazy alibis that are simply sinking you to the bottom where you can never rise again. Say, Lord, you are the one that died on Calvary for me. You paid the price for my sins. It's my actions and my reactions that I'm struggling with today. But I come to you today, God, and I'm coming to my senses, and I'm realizing, oh God, that I'm the one that's caused myself all these troubles and problems and burdens. And God, here I am today, Lord. I give myself to you. And if you're a Christian here today, and you can't pray for somebody that's in a situation where they're about to go down for the last time, may God have mercy on your soul. This isn't always about you. Sometimes you come to church because somebody else is needing help. And so here I am today. I was in my study yesterday praying. And God's impressed me this is what I was supposed to preach and I said yes sir I promised God when I was a teenage boy that whatever he gave me to preach that would be what I would preach and I'm here today asking you to bow your heads with me now and we're going to pray Lord Jesus Christ mighty God Lord Jesus you see every soul that's in this building you see every soul that's watching online you know, God, every thought and intent of the heart. Lord God, your word, Lord Jesus, uh, goes all the way down to the marrow, Lord, and the bone. Lord Jesus, your word is quick and powerful. And you're the only one, Lord God, that can save that individual. You're the only one, Lord, that can help that person 
to turn. But God, they've got to be willing to make a huge effort. They can't just sit and sink into the whirlpool of despair and say, well, I'm just waiting for God to come and save me. God, you already paid the price. You already went to Calvary. Now it's time in the name of Jesus for somebody to kick, somebody to stroke, somebody to swim harder than they ever have before, somebody to come to themselves and say, I can't just keep going on like this over and over. I've got to make an an action. I've got to do something. I've got to go into a rehabilitation center. I've got to do something. I got to get help from God. I give myself to you, Lord. It doesn't matter what it costs me. Lord, I'm willing. I want to live for you and serve you, and that's final. I'm going to live for you, God. Satan is going to spend eternity in hell, but tell hell I'm not coming. Satan is going to spend eternity in a lake of fire, but tell Satan that I'm not coming. I'm making, I'm taking action. You know, there's something about it. People just seem to think that they can wait and wait and wait and wait and procrastinate and wait and wait and wait, and somewhere there will be a miracle that will come and save them, but it's not going to happen that way. You have to take action yourself, and then God will help you. God will bless you. God will touch you. But you have to be the one that takes the action. You've got to be the one that comes to yourself. You've got to be the one that says, that's it. I'm making some tremendous changes in my life. God's going to help me. And so here I am this morning preaching this message on a Sunday morning. And I'd rather be preaching something that would bring you joy and happiness. But this will bring joy and happiness to somebody if they'll respond. So there's two things that will keep you from responding. One is believing a false narrative and just deceiving yourself and saying, that that can't be me. That's not me. That's not what happened in my life. And the other thing is pride that says, preacher's talking to me. I know God's talking to me, but I ain't getting to make a fool of myself. I've done that too many times and I'm not doing it again. That's it. Final answer. Well, eternity's a long time. And it's worth one more opportunity. It's worth one more taking an all-out effort. Stand with me, please. I'm trying to be a nice guy. At the same time, I'm trying to save somebody whose soul I know is in peril. So here I am doing my thing, and uh, I hope and pray. I know there's lots of good people here today that's praying with me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. This is not my normal Sunday morning message. I don't know if I ever have a normal Sunday morning message, actually. But God's here. God's here. There is a need for someone to jump out of your seat and walk to an altar and bow your knee before God and say, God, I want to make every change I need to make, and I'm willing. I want to take responsibility for where I'm at. God, if you'll help me, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The thing that I can't afford is 
taking no action. That, that's the worst thing that you can do today is to walk out of here and say, well, <laughs> I ain't letting anybody know God was talking to me. I'll just stand here and <laughs> nobody's going to know it was me. To your own peril, my friend, to your own peril. Why not bow before God and say, God, here I am. I know you're talking to me. I'll tell you what. Here's what I wish I could do. I wish I could walk down and somebody else could preach this message. And then I could get up and walk to an altar and bow on my knee before God today on your behalf. I wish I could. I wish God would let me do that. But no, it won't work that way. It's a, everybody's got to answer for themselves. So here we are. You get to answer for yourself and I get to answer for myself. And I will tell you what, what I will do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last call. Anybody else that would like to come and join us at the altar? Last call. Actually, I think I better say it this way. Last exit before toll. That's what I think I better say. Last exit before toll. The car is starting to sputter a little bit and it needs some gas so you can pull up to the gas station this morning and say, fill her up been paid for by the Lord Jesus. I invite everybody that would like to come join me at this altar. And we're just going to have a prayer meeting this morning. Is that all right? Just a little prayer meeting, a little time of talking with God. Oh, Lord, I'm going to have a talk with Jesus. I'm going to tell him all about my trouble. He will hear my faintest cry and he'll answer by and by. So here I am, Lord. I give myself to you. Praise God.